you want to turn there or the handout that you just got has the text on the inside. And I want to start this morning by asking, what does, what does the world look for in a leader? What are the characteristics that the world looks for in a leader? So I got on the Google machine and typed in some characteristics of leaders and I came up with three different uh, sites that had lists. Some of them had very long, like 100 traits. Well, I'm not going to read that to you, okay? But we have a few here. One is military.com. They assist veterans in getting jobs. They have an article entitled Six Personality Traits of a Leader. And they list these six. Ambition, drive and tenacity. That's together. Self-confidence. And then psychological openness. I had to read a little bit further to figure out what that was. It it means to, to seek diverse opinions. Okay. So that's psychological openness. Realism. And then an appetite for learning. That's from military.com. Six personality traits of a leader. Indeed.com, the job search website, has an article entitled Leadership Traits, 10 Qualities of Effective Leaders. They gave these 10 qualities. Accountability, adaptability, confidence, creativity, empathy. Focus, positivity, risk-taking, stability, and team-building. And then lastly, entrepreneur.com in an article entitled Five Key Traits of Great Leaders lists these five qualities. They They put it this way, you must have vision, you must have passion, you must be a great decision maker. You must be a team builder and you must have character. So those are just a sampling of some of the characteristics that the world looks for in a leader. But what we want to look at today is what kind of character traits does uh, God look for in a man to lead his church? What kind of character traits in a man does God look for to lead his church. And so for that, let's turn to an article in the Bible entitled Titus. Titus chapter one. And in verses five through nine, Paul is wanting Titus to find men to lead God's church whose life and character reflect well upon him, upon God. Paul argues in verses five through nine that a healthy church needs a plurality of qualified elders who as God's stewards must demonstrate good stewardship in their home, over themselves, and with the word. And so today we're going to focus in on verses 7 and 8. God's steward must demonstrate good stewardship over themselves. Look at Titus 1, verse 7 and 8. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered, 
or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. What kind of character traits does God look for in a man to lead his church? Well, as a Christian, you need pastors who oversee themselves well. First of all, Paul gives us a list of negatives. He must not be. He must not be arrogant. The word means overbearing, self-willed, or stubborn. One of the traits that I think that needs to be looked for in uh, pastors or elders is that they need to be teachable. They need to be teachable. They're willing to learn and to, to listen well to others. Instead of, instead of being his way is the only way, they should listen well, be willing to learn. It is a way to determine whether they are arrogant. Uh, one commentary said this, New American commentary said, he should be flexible in his own opinions, considerate of other viewpoints, and especially open and eager to do God's will. The Christian leader should be sensitive to use authority in ways that truly promote God's work, and not any personal agenda. So he shouldn't be arrogant. And then the next one is he must not be quick-tempered. Quick-tempered, that's hot-headedness, inclined to anger. I believe I put on your handout there uh, a good quote that I found in one of the lexicons. It says, quick-tempered persons lose no time being angry, and do so with those they ought not, over things they ought not, and far more than they ought. I thought that was a good quote on quick-temperedness. They're quick to anger. Then, he must not be a drunkard. Literally means addicted to wine. It means drinking in excess. Now, here's where we can apply a principle, right? Because it's... it's uh, it's. Not okay to say, okay, well, he's not going to get drunk, but he's going to go smoke 10 pounds of pot and be out of his mind, right? Or take some LSD or whatever the case may be. This would apply to illegal drug use as well. Addiction implies dependence. It's being controlled by something outside yourself. When someone is caught uh, uh, driving a vehicle... Uh, they say that they are driving under what? The influence. In other words, they're being influenced by something outside of themselves. Now, to be clear, the Bible does not forbid drinking. It forbids drunkenness. And in Ephesians 5.18, we say this, we see this. It says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. That's wild living, as we looked at last week. Do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. If we're going to be under the influence of anything, as Christians, we're to be under the influence of the Spirit of God. So a man who leads God's church needs to be influenced by the Spirit, not under the influence of drugs and alcohol. Now, if we look on to the next one, he must not be violent. He must not be violent. The word has the connotation of a bully. First Timothy three three 
uh, and I think I've listed that on the relative uh, relevant scriptures to today's sermon there. If you want to look at that, First Timothy three three gives us an antonym to violent that helps us understand what God is looking for. First Timothy three three says, "Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, gentle." Recently, we gave away some books called Lowly and Gentle, The Heart of Christ. And, uh, and we still have some copies. If you want to get one of those, you see one of those in our library, pick that up and take it for free. It's an excellent book. But gentle and lowly. He is not to be violent, but gentle. For instance, we have an example. In the Old Testament, <clears throat> Nehemiah built a wall. He restored the wall of Jerusalem. But we would not consider Nehemiah a candidate for an elder of the church. If we look at Nehemiah 13, verses 20 and 21, when he saw that there were merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside of Jerusalem once or twice. He, he says, I, I we saw them outside the walls selling things on a Sabbath. And he says, but I warned them and said to them, why do you lodge outside the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. And from that time, they did not come on the Sabbath. They feared him. And then Nehemiah 13:23 through 25. This is definitely not how you want your pastor to deal with you. It says, In those days also I saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab, and half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. And I confronted them and cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair. So, Nehemiah, not a candidate for a pastor. But there's also the aspect of being a bully that is not violent, but it's with words. Men can use words to hurt others or to shame them in order to get his way. And that's not how a man should lead a man qualified to be an elder should be slow to go to war over an issue in order to get his way. Slow to go to war over an issue to get his way. He's not violent. Next item is greedy. Greedy. The definition, shamelessly greedy for money or fond of dishonest gain. So greedy that he's willing to do things dishonestly. In order to make money. First Timothy 3.8 says, not greedy for dishonest gain. First Peter 5.2 says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So as we consider people for elders in our church. If they're out there making money under the table, that's a disqualifying trait. Or if they're showing greed in their life in other ways. Above reproach, that's the overarching theme. And an elder must not be dishonorable in a way in which he handles money or makes money. So, 
in these negative ones, what kind of character traits is a man of uh, in a man is God looking for to lead his church? Well, he must not be overbearing, quick tempered, overusing alcohol or drugs, a bully or shady with finances. So as a Christian, you need pastors who oversee themselves well. Next, then, Paul gets into a list of positive traits, things that he must be. He must be hospitable. Give you a couple of definitions from uh, some dictionaries that I looked up as far as uh, biblical dictionaries. Hospitable, loving strangers, a friend of or kind to stranger. And it has the idea, especially in ancient times when we didn't have hotels and motels and things like that, people would be traveling through from foreign lands, maybe visiting the town, maybe moving to the town. And instead of uh, having to stay outside and be in danger of being robbed or threatened uh, with violence, they would need to find a home, somebody who was willing to let them stay in their home. And so the pastor needed to be, in their day, willing to let people stay with him. And it, and it particularly has this idea towards those who are not like you, of the same uh, land as you are, because that was the people who were typically traveling. One commentary said this, Strangeness produces mutual tension between natives and foreigners, But hospitality overcomes the tension and makes of the alien a friend. Historically, foreigners are primarily enemies or outlaws who should be killed. It is then found, however, that hospitality is a better way to deal with strangers and thus become the wards of law and religion. Hospitable means to be concerned about the welfare of others, especially those vulnerable to being taken advantage of. And I think that speaks, it should speak to our hearts about how our country is handling immigration. Certainly we need immigration reform, but Congress finds themselves unable to do anything because they just want to shout at each other and try to get people to vote. But we need to be compassionate people. We need to show mercy to people because those people who are attempting to come into our country are made in the image of God. And they have value. And they should be treated as humans. And we should be compassionate to them. Hospitable. Concerned about the welfare of other individuals. He must also be a lover of good. In the Greco-Roman world, uh, one commentary says this, it's a, uh, a characteristic of an especially respected and responsible citizen. So somebody that is considered to be a pastor needs to be a good citizen of his community. He loves what will be good for others in their community as a good citizen. And let me just say, that does not mean that he has to be of a particular political party. Because no political party has a lock on everything that is good for everybody. Okay, 
There are some Democratic ideas that are better than Republican ideas, and there are some Republican ideas that are better than Democratic ideas, and you need to come to accept that, okay? Because we're not followers of a party, we're followers of a king. So a lover of good, a good citizen of the country that you live in. He also needs to be self-controlled. He avoids extremes and is responsible in his actions. This is also mentioned in uh, chapter 2, verse 12. Self-controlled follows itself through this whole epistle. It means to be in control of his mind and emotions so that he can act rationally and discreetly. In control of his mind and emotions so he can act rationally and discreetly. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, and it's mentioned several times, as I said, in the book of Titus. It's a characteristic of somebody being a Christian. He is also upright. That's also mentioned in chapter 2, verse 12. One commentary says this, what does upright mean? Being in accordance with high standards of rectitude, to be upright, to be just. To be fair, one who upholds the customs and norms of behavior, including especially public service that make for a well-ordered, civilized society. So he's upright. I, I put it this way. He's committed to doing what is right. Committed to doing what is right. And you've heard me say this before, and you'll probably hear me say it many more times. As a Christian, you are to do right and leave the consequences to God. Do right and leave the consequences to God. You say, well, pastor, if I do right, man, these people are going to do this. They're going to hate me or or this might get me fired or this might. Whatever. Hey, listen, don't worry about what ifs. Do right. Do right. And leave the consequences to God. So he must be upright. Then the next character trait, he must be holy. Holy it means to be devout, uh, a pleasing to God, set apart to God. I put, I put it this way, committed to being separated to God's service. Now, that does, does not mean committed to God's service as a pastor in full-time ministry. Christians are to be separated for God's service because that's what he did when he, when he saved us. He declared us righteous. That's our justification. But then he set us apart from the world to be used for his service. And so if we want to think about a a way that we can think about that is that like those chairs are for the floor. And then these chairs have been set apart. They look a lot like those chairs, right? They look exactly like those chairs, but these chairs have been set apart for service on the stage area. And so when God calls a person to salvation, he calls you out of the world and separates you to himself for his service. And so a person who is holy has been set apart and is living life in accordance with that, remaining set apart. For the service of God. And then finally, he needs to be disciplined. 
disciplined. The lexicon says this, having one's emotions, impulses, or desires under control. Now, oftentimes when we think about somebody that's disciplined, we either think of somebody that like either works out disciplined, right? Leg day every day or whatever. I'm unfamiliar with that. Or we tend to think of anger. But we've already talked about hot-headedness, right? So, what's being addressed here is control over one's emotions in general. In other words, not prone to mood swings. Like super highs and really low lows that impair the ability to function well. To be disciplined, to be under control of one's emotions so that when you're hit across the bow by something in the church, doesn't matter whether you're at a high time in your spiritual walk or low time in your spiritual walk or emotionally or in life, how things are happening, disciplined, bring it under control, be able to make the right decisions. So not prone to mood swings, whether up or down, not prone to get excited over some new fad and just chase it for a while until another new fad comes along and chase it. He is exhibiting control over his emotions and he is not impulsive. He likes to think about things and make the right decision. So what kind of character traits in a man is God looking for to lead his church? Well, he must show concern for the welfare welfare of individuals who are easily taken advantage of. A good citizen of the community, self-controlled, committed to doing what is right, committed to serving God and disciplined with his emotions and his desires. So as a Christian, you need pastors who oversee themselves well. So how does this apply here this morning? Well, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you've never been saved. I want to say to you this morning that there is a greater kingdom than any kingdom here on this earth. It's God's kingdom. And God's kingdom is ruled by Jesus Christ. His citizens are the church. But his kingdom does not fight like the world's kingdoms fight. He is a, his is a kingdom that loves their enemies. His outposts, the churches, are led by pastors who lead his people to be transformed to be like their king. It's what we see in Titus 2, verses 11 through 14, if you want to look there. Because that's what God has done in sending his son. Titus 2, 11 through 14 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, for all types of people, Jews, Gentiles, Texans, Mexicans, even Canadians. 
bringing salvation for all kinds of people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I urge you, Jesus Christ came and it says He gave Himself. He died to redeem us. To redeem us from what? From our sins. And so if you'll repent of your sin and call out to God and ask Him to save you because of what Christ did on your behalf and His death, burial, and resurrection, He will save you. And He will set you apart from all lawlessness and purify you to be a people for His own possession, zealous for good works. So make today the day that you turn from your sin and trust Christ as your Savior. Now, for those of us who are saved... As I said last week, I say again, the remarkable thing about the qualifications for an elder is that they're pretty unremarkable. Right? These are like, these should be characteristics of a Christian. So every Christian should have these characteristics in their life. But let's, let's talk about for a church that is looking for elders or looking for pastors. What if a potential elder does not meet these qualifications? What if, a, what if you're looking for a pastor and nobody meets these qualifications in your church? Well, no man is better than the wrong man. Okay? No man is better than the wrong man. Don't lay hands suddenly, give them authority on any person that's not qualified. If they're not qualified, don't make them a pastor. These are non-negotiable characteristics. He must not. Or he must. What if there's no one else besides an unqualified person available? No man is better than the wrong man. But what if he's a really great speaker? What if he has this great plan for the church? Boy, what if he just grabs the attention of people, draws them in? If he does not meet these qualifications, he is not to be an elder of the church. These are the qualifications God is looking for in the men who will lead his church. Now, what do you do if an existing elder or an existing pastor exhibits one or more of these negative traits? Or doesn't meet up to one of the positive traits. Well, we have to be careful. First Timothy 5.19 says this, Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. In other words, this, this needs to be evidential. They can't just be accused by one person who wants to bring them down. There's protecting of the office, of the reputation of the pastor. It's very much like the process, though, of one who has sinned. 
right? You're to go to them one on one and you're to have two or three witnesses. So how do we handle it? Well, if the if the church has multiple pastors. Go to the other pastor with your concerns. Okay, you may be you may be witness number two that's observed this. Okay. And so then that would move things along. So if there are multiple pastors, go to the other pastors. But if there are no other elders, then you need to take it to a deacon. If they fail to handle it, and then there are two or three witnesses among you with the same concern, then let the deacons know that you wish to call for a discussion at a members meeting. And then if the pastor does not repent, 1 Timothy gives directions on that too. In the next verse, 1 Timothy 5.20, As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. Part of handling sin in a public members meeting, if you will, and before all, is number one, to deal with the sin of the person. Number two, it's to put in you a godly fear of sinning. And then number three, it lets the world know this church is serious about God's people living God's way. So if they persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that they the rest may stand in fear. A pastor can be removed from office by the membership. But what if your pastors meet these qualifications? What if you do? What do you do if your your pastors say, hey, they, they meet the qualifications? I would say this. Encourage them. Encourage them. Let them know you appreciate them. As well, and this is one of those uncomfortable subjects, okay, but I want to teach to you the full counsel of God. You need to show your appreciation to them, but 1 Corinthians 9.14 says this, The Lord Jesus commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. And then 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18 says this, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So that means that you can have elders who are not necessarily teaching and preaching. They have to be able to teach, but they don't have to be the ones teaching and preaching. It says, for the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. Again, referring to the Lord's words. So let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. What's the double honor mean? Well, the honor of being given a title, of, if you will, of elder, but then also being given pay for their wages. And in Galatians 6, 6 says this, let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Okay. So if you receive good things, if you are blessed with good things, then share that with your pastors. Right? Be a blessing to them. 
And there are many ways that you can do that. Right. It's not just finances. I had one church member stop by the other day and gotten a bunch of corn and I got a sack of corn. And let me tell you, it was great. You know, but it's a way of showing appreciation. And I appreciated it. Spirit-led thankfulness to God is expressed by sharing your material good with those who have helped you spiritually. So a healthy church needs a plurality of qualified elders who, as God's stewards, must demonstrate good stewardship in their home, over themselves, and with the word. So as a Christian, you need pastors who oversee themselves well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for our King, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for your church and your kingdom and your ways. And Father, we see here that your ways are so different. The expectations in a leader are so different from what is expected by the world. And that's because your kingdom is not of this world. It's to be led by men who understand that and who live that. And Father, I know for myself it's convicting, challenging to read through these qualifications. And Father, I pray that you will give me much grace and Pastor Tad much grace as we lead your people in your ways. Help us to be kind and gentle and loving. Not quick to anger. Not greedy. But hospitable. Caring about those who are vulnerable. And Father, I pray that you will give us more elders, more pastors from among this congregation. Father, I pray that we will see men meeting these qualifications and rising up to be pastors and to help in the work of this ministry and potentially, Lord, even becoming a pastor here and then being sent out from here pastoring somewhere else. Father, we pray that you will use us as your people to raise up godly men who will serve you with their lives in the ministry and the service of an elder. Father, if there are any among us this morning who are not saved, I pray that you'll save them. I pray if there are some here who are discouraged, that you will... Encourage them. Lift their spirits. Father, I pray that your love would be real to them this morning. And Father, I pray if there are some here who are prideful, maybe they were hit, that they are disqualified from being an elder. Uh, They are exhibiting characteristics that are not Christ-like. I pray that they will repent of those and come to you, the loving Father, and receive restoration and have their testimony made greater 
among this world. May, may Your name be seen as holy by our lives. And may Your kingdom rule be seen here in our lives and in our church as it is in heaven. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.